Um, I'm Fiona Ferguson and I work for Imaginate. Uh, for anyone who's not familiar with Imaginate, we run a, an annual international festival of theatre and dance for children. So everything from work from babies uh, right through to teens. And my role is more uh, to do with a year-round programme of working with the sector and individual artists and companies on the work that they're making. Uh, and in that role, we're increasingly working with um, Scottish Mental Health Arts and Film Festival. That's quite hard to remember. Um, so watch this space, and that is largely down to Andrew, who has worked with Imaginate and Scottish Mental Health Arts and Film Festival. Um, it's really great to see so many people here, especially on, I think, what is one of the most gorgeous days Glasgow's had for about six months. Uh, and here we are in a beautiful room with no windows and in the dark. Um, I was reminded just how important this issue is this morning when Andrew sent a link. I don't know if anyone else heard it. On Radio 4 this morning, a nine-year-old boy called Paul talking about his life with depression. <clears throat> it's quite hard to listen to uh, for a minute. I thought maybe we should play it, um, but I don't think that would be the most uplifting start. Um, but it did remind me about why we're all here and certainly why this panel are here. It feels for uh, teens with access to social media through to um, adults, mental health is much more open. People are sharing from celebrities to TV programmes to individuals. But it makes me wonder who's talking to children. Um, one of the statistics that I looked up before today uh, was from the World Health Organization that 50% of all mental health illnesses start by the age of 14. So if you're a child who goes to a school where the teachers are scared to talk about mental health or you're in a family where your family are scared to talk about mental health, who is talking to you? Um, so that will be one of the questions for the panel today is to think about where the arts fit um, and what, what we can do. It's an amazing panel here so in a minute I'll ask them all to introduce themselves. We will uh, talk amongst ourselves a little bit which is quite hard to do on a stage um, but keep it as informal as possible and we will allow lots of time for questions and, and conversation with you. Um, so keep that in your mind if you've got things that you would like to ask from the panel. So, could we start with Andrew and just tell us a little bit about you and your work in relation to this theme? Hi. I'm Andrew Dawson, I'm the, the uh, lead child psychotherapist for Specialist Children's Services in Greater Glasgow and Clyde Health Board. And I suppose most of my work is based in the child and adolescent mental health teams. And that's for children and young people who have got uh, um, moderate to severe mental health problems. And we can see children really from a very early age uh, through until they're 18. I really like the introductions because it was trying to, to sort of really say you know, how important this is. And even the, the, the reference to uh, early life, which is what I'm going to talk about, um, I think are really important. But I, I come across the question of evidence quite a lot. Uh, and I suppose there's something about uh, what evidence is there that, that the arts are, are important to mental health. Um, I really like the way that the, the evidence was gathered, but people can miss the point completely with that. And it, it's, it's kind of... I think it reflects in the culture that we're in when you have to actually defend that. I think there's a lack of understanding of how uh, sewn into the fabric of uh, identity your experience of the arts are. And to explain that a little bit, uh, I work with a variety of professions that do very um, uh, regimented and ordered work. But the child psychotherapy's task is a little bit different. Uh, we, we spend a lot of time with children and we don't sort of ask them a lot of questions. We are interested in what's on their mind and how can they tell us about that. And what they do is they play, they draw, they might sing a little bit, uh, and uh, we're working towards having conversations where they can really express themselves and feel understood. A big part of our training is actually do, just doing an infant observation. So we'll go into a family with a newborn baby for an hour a week for two years, and 
We try to describe what that's like, um, we try to put it into words, and we try and think about it. And what we see is uh, two things that are really important. Uh, the first one is what I would call live company. So that's the infant in their own state and the very needy state uh, finds that it's either possible or impossible, or they have to work really hard or it's made easy for them to have the feeling of live company in that relationship with their carers and their siblings. Uh, and when the live company's there and they feel related to somebody in an active way, um, what you find is that there's a shared interest in the physicality of the dance between the parent and the, uh, parent and the child, uh, in the first marks that the child makes, in the first little uh, bit of um, gibberish they speak, or the pity biddy 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 And uh, all, all of a sudden you see parents taking a delight in the, the sound and the shape of the words. Um, and what we're trying to do in, in child psychotherapy is get that idea of life company and communication going with the child and opening up the communicative systems so, and working with the families round about them so that it can be that can be received and the, um, the parent and the child can get a feeling that they really know each other and especially when there have been problems with that and mental health can cause problems in relationships um, and if you can open up uh, the ability to communicate um, even if it's the ability to communicate about very distressing things, uh, it sets the path for, for more positive mental health and for people to be able to manage their mental health throughout their life cycle. So I'm here today really interested in what you're talking about, but also trying to say something uh, more than just evidence. Actually, it's evidence of something wrong in our culture when we have to defend the arts to such an extent, instead of actually just saying, you know, this is who we are, this is about our identity, and it's about our identity from infancy. It's not just about professional artists who are sort of making a statement. It's for everyone. You have a drama background yourself. I do, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Deborah? Hi, uh, my name's Deborah Malcolm. Um, I'm, I guess, a freelance illustrator. I graduated from Aberdeen University two years ago, and during my fourth year, I kind of stepped away from what I was doing throughout the rest of the year, which was mainly like game design artwork, and decided I really wanted to make a picture book. And this was loosely sort of based on uh, a, a panel I had seen at the Edinburgh Book Festival. Um, it was Neil Gaiman, and he was talking about him, how he doesn't like uh, sort of uh, stereotypical kind of uh, stories in which everything's you know, easy to, I guess, uh, what am I trying to say, but, <laughs> and, um, once, it, it's kind of like, oh, why have I just totally forgotten what I'm going to say? <laughs> anyway, what happens with you. Oh, oh yeah, just, just notice that. Um, yeah, conventional story types is what I, that was the word I was looking for. It doesn't like that, and that kind of resonated with me. I wanted to make something that was meaningful and had purpose. So I guess taking on my own uh, difficulties with uh, depression and anxiety for over a decade, I thought I would create something that would help others. Um, and I guess, you know, I don't, I don't really have any, you know, I'm not a doctor, I don't really know exactly what works for children, but um, looking at how children understand uh, language um, so easily in comparison to when you're an adult trying to learn another language, it seems it's, it's quite apparent how different it is. I thought perhaps teaching earlier would be more beneficial to uh, children and possibly their, their parents if they want to talk about mental health, but they don't know how to go about it. Because it's quite a difficult thing, I guess, to bring up. You know, how do you how do you discuss it? How do you you know how do you bring it up without it being quite miserable and a bit you know daunting? So I created a wordless picture book, which I guess kind of follows a a character who falls into I guess a depression, and it's their uh, I guess experience of trying to get out of that. Um, and the reason it's wordless is due to the fact that I think mental health, everyone has a, a, their own personal experience of it. So I didn't want to say this is how it is and this is 
how you get out. It's more, it's a, it's a personal experience. So although uh, a lot of the, the metaphors used in it are, are quite similar to those who, who experience depression, a lot of, there's a lot of similarities. Um, I quite like the feedback that I get from what people think of, of certain elements um, and that they have different opinions. And that's quite what I like about art as well. Um, I quite like to read art and kind of take it in for myself and, and under, understand it for myself, kind of read it. Uh, and then it's quite nice to see what the artist was thinking at the time that they were, they were making that piece. And I thought, oh, right, I didn't notice that part. Um, so I guess, yeah, it was just something I wanted to make that was, that was meaningful. And uh, thankfully, actually through, I think it was through Creative Scotland, I found uh, the publisher Thunderstone Books. Um, and they specialise in sort of educational uh, books, mainly science and language. But they, they saw my book and, and felt that they wanted to publish it, and, and thankfully they did. So it's, it's actually this one here. Um, <laughs> available on Amazon. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, and yeah, right now I'm working on another one uh, more aimed on anxiety. But again, I think... It, it may be wordless, it may be not, but I, I quite like the idea of things being wordless and for you to take this thing kind of on as your own experience. So, yeah, that's me. <laughs> Do you have a particular sort of age group in mind when you were making um, it? I thought maybe early primary, perhaps five, six onwards. Although I quite believe that picture books are for everyone, so um, any age, but I think possibly... I don't know if nursery would be too young. I wasn't allowed to kind of test it on children. Yeah. Um, so it was, I guess, just a hypothesis, an idea. Um, so I, so far, it's been kind of young school children. Yeah. yeah. I was reading about a beautiful book yesterday um, by a Faroese author, mm -hmm. who I will not attempt to pronounce the <laughs> name, um, called The Flat Rabbit. Oh, Never come across no. that one. Google that one. It's really oh, yeah. interesting. It's so beautiful. Yeah, it, it's a children's book about death and grief. Um, but yeah, really beautiful book. Yeah, well, I think that was another reason why I, I made a book about depression because there were a lot of books out there that are aimed at uh, like bereavement and death yeah. because it's so important for you know for children to understand because it happens in life Every, everyone will experience it unfortunately but it feels like we're coming to a point now where everyone's going to experience depression either themselves or someone else that they love so i think that's important that we we discuss that yeah. thank you i've just realized that part of my job is to keep an eye on the time so oh, i'm just gonna <laughs> no no i'm just gonna sneak my phone onto the table <laughs> alice hello I'm Alice McGrath and I'm a producer and facilitator of arts, um, of primarily arts for children and young people and also arts that works in a participatory way. Um, I'm also, and I think it's important that I do this, I also define myself as a mother and as a daughter and they're important aspects of who I am. Um, my interest in this came last year, well there's three points that I'm really interested in this topic. Uh, the first one is my experience of the Scottish Mental Health Arts and Film Festival. My second is my experience of how children live and experience the world. And my third one is my experience and passion for uh, arts experiences for children and young people. So if I can talk briefly to those three points. Um, the first one, last year, I, I, I always knew about the, the mental health festival, but I hadn't participated in it. And last year, I worked with Andrew and Gail and brought a project to, I think, a number of people here, the Turntable Project, which is also on today, to the festival. And at the launch of the festival, I was really inspired by the quality of the art, the quality of the respect for the artists, and the, and the respect for the audiences that the festival was talking to and, and trying to be in conversation with. But it was 
really obvious to me that there was a whole audience that they were not at that point talking to and it's the audience that I'm most um, concerned with and it's children and young people. So uh, I suppose in some ways I challenged Andrew and said, can we do something about this? Can we do something about this together? Because, because points two and three that I'm about to share. Um, and, and from that conversation, part, this is part of the reason this has come about, and also hopefully this year I'll bring a, a theatre performance that I produce called Titus to the festival and present it to children um, in, in a variety of contexts. So why do I think it's important? The second point is my experience of how children experience the world and how they, they experience a whole range of emotions and complexities in life that we also do as adults. And perhaps that isn't always acknowledged and recognised and perhaps it's not always talked about, perhaps we're a little bit fearful of it. But to give you a couple of examples and anecdotes just from my week alone... Um, my son is in his final year at school. He is a brilliant, creative, I think, genius, because he's my son. Um, but he is, he's a brilliant, he has a brilliant creative mind, but he's also extremely dyslexic. And school has never been easy for him. It's always been really stressful. And school hasn't always known how to support him. But against the odds, he's done incredibly well in school. But he's in his final month and the stress couldn't be more acute. Um, the, the pressure of deadlines, the pressure of exams is having a huge manifestation on him, on his relationships. We've been in battle many a day and on, um, and on how he is in the world and what he's choosing to do as a result. So he started smoking, he started drinking, he will just want to be out. And if you try and converse on it, there's a barrier goes up. It's also having a physical manifestation on his body. He has head, toe and eczema and scratching all the time. So I've changed my tact. I'm no longer concerned about how he does in school. All I'm concerned about is his pain, whether that's his mental pain or his physical pain. And my shifting, my focus, is having a really positive result, which I'm really <laughs> pleased about. But it's still live and he still has three weeks to go. Um, he's 17 but he's been dealing with these things since he was a young boy that's one anecdote second anecdote my friend um, who is an artist uh, her daughter said to her out of the blue it appeared on Saturday mum I want to cry and I don't know why so her, thankfully her mum is a very sensitive mum who's able to spend the time exploring why and also encouraging her daughter to talk about that. And it's ex escalated this week to the point where on Monday morning she could not get on the bus to school. She's seven years old. She could not get on the bus to school. She was having a crisis. And thankfully, her mum and dad were able to support that and, and really support that. Almost treat it like, you've got a cold today. You can go to your bed and we'll deal with it later. These things exist all the time. These are just two examples of things that children experience every day. And I believe that arts has a huge role to play in supporting that and shining a light on these things. But it doesn't have to be hitting you over the head with a hammer. It can be subtle. So the third point uh, is about my experience and passion for arts and stories for children. And I, I've worked in this field for Years, <laughs> can't even think how long. <laughs> Let's not think of no. it. Um, in a number of different <clears throat> roles, and I've experienced children and families, um, their experience of encountering really good quality art. And so, what I witness is that really good stories for children have a whole multitude of themes that coexist together whether that's discovery and loss, joy and anger, life and death, and that we shouldn't shy away from them. In the same way that you're talking about, we shouldn't be scared of them, we shouldn't treat them as taboos. Because if we can open the door to these things and not be scared of them, they can have huge benefits 
really good quality performances for children and stories for children can open up the door for them to reflect on their lives, to face their fears, and to have a dialogue, whether that's with their peers, other children, whether that's with the adults in their life. If you take really well-known story, and it is the number one selling panto, always, Cinderella. If you look at what's involved in Cinderella, it's hugely complex. Thankfully, we don't shy away from it. But we do often put it on as a panto, so there's all singing and dancing and all that round about it. But there are also beautiful tellings of this story. If anybody's ever encountered Shona Repa's work, she tells a version of Cinderella which is poignant and beautiful and, and visually stunning, but it doesn't shy away from the fact that Cinderella is alone. She has lost her mother and... Um, Yes, it would be nice to meet a prince, but that doesn't always mean a happy ending. And uh, the show that I'm bringing, hopefully, to the, the Mental Health Festival is a show called Titus. And it's about a young boy who's on the edge. And he starts the performance literally on the edge of the table. that's on the edge of the roof of his school. He's ten years old, and he has experienced a whole catalogue of loss including his 10-year-old girlfriend who happens to make the best sandwiches ever in school. What this performance has within it is, is truth and honesty and integrity. It also has humour and it also has a huge range of emotions because the 10-year-old boy has that. It's a bugger of a play to put on. It's 35 minutes, it's one man... It has no set. We borrow a table wherever we go. It, but for whatever reason, I don't quite understand why, it's always a pain to put on. And I have to hold it and believe in it and have to know that whenever it meets its audience, it, it does something powerful. And so I hold on and, and, and I'm going to keep doing it. So I suppose I have a wish, and I have my, I've written my wish down. I wish that we, as a community of professionals who care about art and mental health, that we respect the artistic, emotional and intellectual perceptions of young people and we create, create, provide creative experiences wherever we can that meet them with authenticity and integrity. That's me. Excellent. <laughs> I think uh, it's something that comes up with Imagine a lot, um, we, in uh, the world of young audiences, spend a lot of time talking about taboos because a lot of us get really annoyed at how children are underestimated as an audience. So uh, we get told that you can't put certain topics in front of them. And somehow, as, a, as adults, we feel that we're protecting children if we don't talk to them uh, about mental health or we don't talk to them about loss which seems totally back to front to me mm -hmm. and uh, one of the first times I saw Titus was in a school in Edinburgh because it's so flexible um, the actor literally rocks up in the classroom jumps up on the teacher's desk and delivers this incredible monologue so yeah I would encourage you to go see it um, Rob Yes, thank you. Thanks. Um, good morning, everybody. My name is Rob Gallagher, and I'm a programme manager with a community arts company called Impact Arts. Um, I suppose just to start off with picking up on the point around taboos, uh, the project that I'm here to talk about mainly this morning and one that I lead um, called The Young Gallery deals with a particularly gritty and very realistic taboo in the east end of Glasgow where we're based, and that is the effect that parental drug and alcohol abuse is having on children. Um, Impact Arts, just to give you a bit of context, is, is a 22-year-old or organisation um, founded in 1994. It's a community arts, um, we take a community arts approach in all of our project delivery um, and we, we deliver cultural experiences which are kind of uh, designed to bring people together uh, to help them to raise their confidence and self-esteem through shared experience um, and also through individual achievement. Um, in 2012, we developed um, our Young Gallery project for children in the East End, um, and it started out um, as a schools-based programme, which it still continues to this day um, to have a, a high level of engagement with local schools. Um, the programme engages children in a creative experience um, in visual art, um, starting off with inspiration and um, 
conception at, at the very start of an eight workshop programme. Um, and the children are then led um, by an artist in residence uh, through to exhibition stage um, and children exhibit their artwork in a gallery in the East End. Um, so for us, um, those three um, important outcomes around confidence and self-esteem um, and around achievement um, and children really feeling validated and realising their own potential through being able to create work and then exhibit that work and celebrate um, their own creativity was something that was really important to us. Um, but very quickly, um, as we worked alongside the schools and, and again with our experience of working with communities in the East End, we felt a desire to, to, to develop the project further um, and, and to bring in something uh, that would help us to, to, um, as an organisation to work within our community um, and address that issue around substance abuse, which is having a very acute effect on a number of children. Um, so in doing that, we developed a three-stage project, um, which um, developing on from the schools projects that we, we had been delivering, incorporated some group work with children. Um, and so around about 2013, we piloted a few projects in partnership with other organisations, including Nordoff Robbins, who deliver music therapy. Um, and we worked in, in, in small groups with children who, who um, were referred to us um, through lines of, of education, social work and health, um, and who were known to be living in, in quite chaotic circumstances due to parental addiction. Um, due to the success of those projects and the outcomes that the, the individual children themselves were experiencing in terms of... Um, a greater shared experience, um, greater confidence within the group setting, etc. Uh, we then went on to develop one-to-one -one, um, art therapy sessions as part of that project. And the person who's sitting on my left, who'll introduce herself shortly, started with us two weeks ago um, <laughs> as, our, as our new full-time art therapist and coordinator, so we're really pleased to have her as part of that project. So over the last year, um, and primarily funded by Lloyd's Partnership Drugs Initiative, we've been able to deliver a number of art therapy sessions to children who we've been working with. Um, last year we worked with 11 children, and, and with Alison on, on the project now we'll be able to work with a much greater increased number this year. Um, and again, just not, not to shy away from, from some of those taboos, we are talking about very, very adverse uh, circumstances that these children are living in. I think we quite rightly live in a society that recognises the importance of family and, and that, that we have a social responsibility um, to, to help families in need and to help vulnerable people um, to, to, to be able to, to, to have that right to family life and to, to live successfully as a family. Um, however, at the centre, in terms of those adverse circumstances, are children who have very little control um, over the chaos in which they, they, they live. Um, and, and out of the 11 children we worked with last year, I'd say that they all, um, each of them was experiencing very little control in terms of that and, and the knock-on effect that was having on them in terms of their day-to-day -day life and their mental health was becoming very acute and that was being recognised, as I say, by education, by social work and by health. Um, again, Alison can go into a lot more depth um, with her expertise in terms of art therapy um, about what children achieve um, through this journey. But myself, as the leader of the, of the project, um, I've certainly observed children um, who, um, who, as I say, um, have maybe been experiencing poor attachment and over the last year have been able to develop um, a greater sense of consistency in their own lives and in their own relationships. Um, through engaging on a regular basis, through psychotherapy, um, using the arts. Um, we've worked with children who, again, just due to the chaos that they're living in, have not been supported to process their learning and to process their emotions and to have that validated and, and, and to understand really what's going on in, in their little heads. Um, and I've, I've seen children, just as simple as has been spoken through um, the process of how somebody can't break into your house at night and steal you, you know, something like that, which a child has never really had explained to them. And so that's been a really present anxiety for that individual. Um, but as I say, Alison, um, with, with experience in terms of her clinical background and in terms of her, her experiences in art therapists will be able to extend more on that. This is a long table. <laughs> okay, so I'm Alison Peebles. I'm delighted to, to be here to talk about children, mental health and the arts. I'm delighted to have joined the team at Impact Arts just last week. Um, so I'll talk, first of all, a wee bit about um, some of the hoped uh, outcomes uh, from the, the project with children. It's primary school age children. 
uh, in the east end of Glasgow, and also talk a little bit about art therapy, how, how that process works. And I think a little bit, just to put things into context about our backgrounds as artists and art therapists and our training, just to kind of put things into context, because um, it's been really wonderful just to hear about people's experiences, both personal and professional experiences already this morning. And I think hearing perhaps a little bit about our backgrounds as artists and art therapists might kind of help to put things into context where our sort of underpinning to what we do then do in our professional lives uh, comes from. Um, so what is art therapy first of all? Art therapy is a, a, a form of psychotherapy and we primarily use art media uh, within a, a, a therapeutic context um, um, with a whole range of, of different client groups that includes children, infants, uh, young people, adults and older older people as well. Um, and certainly I mean, talking about going back to evidence again, art therapists are continually challenged, particularly by maybe some of the other professions that work in mental health, to, to come up with evidence. And, and we are we are a small profession, but we are responding to that. And actually, I think there can be a helpful aspect as long as you don't get too caught up in uh, trying to uh, talk about evidence. Um, certainly a lot of art therapists are developing quite client-specific ways of working with different client groups. Um, there's some mentalisation-based art therapy, which uh, is related to, to working uh, with people with personality disorders. Um, art therapy and mindfulness. Uh, and there's a lot of art therapists that have developed other ways, looking at sort of a cognitive approach or a behavioural approach. My own sort of development recently has been to integrate all the main approaches, um, following an, an Adlerian approach. Uh, I don't think Alfred Adler's very well known, not as well known as Freud and Jung, but I've certainly found his uh, integrated approach covering both a cognitive, behavioural um, and existential and uh, systemic approach very helpful in my work because it really I think encapsulates people's experiences much broader within their lives and helps both uh, therapists and uh, the person that they're working with to understand their experiences what they're expressing uh, in, in art therapy or psychotherapy so that's a wee bit of background uh, with art therapy and certainly within the Young Galleries uh, programme uh, uh, Impact Arts, uh, particularly in the beginning stages uh, of therapy, we're looking to really understand uh, the child's experience and looking at their individual circumstances. Because I always like to remember, I mean, and I learn a lot from everybody that I work with, whether children or adults uh, to learn about what their experience is, not what somebody else's is, what their, the person coming into the room's experience is. And those experiences are expressed in the room. I mean, we're fortunate enough, we've got a lovely, quite big uh, art therapy room at Impact Arts, where the children can have access to a whole range of art materials as well as toys and things like that as well. So there's an opportunity for them to express their experiences through art or through play within the session. And certainly my role, in the, particularly in the beginning stages, is to understand what it is they're expressing, what it is they're bringing into the room, and to help them to understand uh, the, their experiences, their emotions, their behaviours, their perceptions. Because children, children are wonderful observers of life but they've not always got the life experience to interpret things accurately. Um, and that's something I kind of learned uh, uh, from my training in Adlerian counselling, was that our perceptions of experiences can be very idiosyncratic. Um, and certainly through my work, uh, sometimes it's maybe challenging some of those perceptions. A child might say, for instance, if a situation like uh, I've worked within a hospice setting as well with children and adults who are experiencing a lot of loss and grief 
and if illness, loss, isn't, or all sorts of circumstances aren't explained to children in some way, then that child will often misinterpret that situation. And then that can affect how they look at maybe themselves and other people later on in life. So to be able to work with, with people and understand those experiences, help them understand their experiences and maybe look at them in a more objective way, that some of those perceptions, what they, the way they've interpreted their experiences, it, it can be helpful. And the arts can help in that as, as in, uh, say for instance, if a child's able to draw something, they can look at it from a distance and maybe get a bit of a different perspective on it. Um, so, you know, that's certainly one of the things we would look at in art therapy is helping a child to understand their experiences. Um, and by understanding their experiences, becoming more aware of the emotions and behaviours, the purpose of behaviour, um, it can help uh, a child to develop maybe what, what their needs are, to have a think about what they need right now. Um, and in that process can help develop their emotional resilience. So that's the kind of things we'll be looking at. We would hope that children might gain from coming to art therapy is to become more aware of themselves, their experiences, uh, to develop ways of coping with how they're feeling. Um, and that might be through kind of psychoeducation, might be through learning techniques like mindfulness. So, I mean, I would bring in uh, not just the arts into art therapy, there might be other things that might help children to cope. Um, <coughs> and sort of em empowering the child as well to, uh, within sessions to help them to, to feel kind of maybe more in control of, of their lives rather than their lives and their circumstances being in control of them uh, is another um, hoped outcome from therapy. I'm just looking at my wee list here. <laughs> <laughs> and we would hope, uh, obviously, to take things at the child's pace. I mean, uh, certainly we have developed a structure for the way that we work uh, with children uh, in the Young Galleries Art Therapy Programme and there's regular reviews built into that just to see, to sit down with a child and see where are we now and where do we want to go. Uh, and the child, uh, you know, obviously is encouraged to, to think about what do they want to gain from coming to art therapy. It's not about what I think, it's about what they might want to gain from coming to therapy. What do they want to be different in their lives if, if their lives are better? Um, I'll just maybe tie this up with saying a little bit about our background and our training as art therapists. Um, certainly we come from an arts training originally. My own background was in printed textile design, but I was fortunate enough actually my first proper job was as a screen print instructor with a mental health organisation quite a number of years ago now. Um, and that kind of brought me this sort of connection in, into working in uh, mental health. Um, and after a few years of doing that, I realised I would really like to do some training uh, in sort of mental health and art therapy seemed to be the obvious choice. And as part of our training, it is a two-year uh, postgraduate training and part of our training is we go through our own therapy ourselves. So we have that experience. And that's for the whole two years that we're um, in training. And we also uh, have uh, psychotherapy training groups and art therapy training groups within our environment. So it gives us an opportunity to look at ourselves. It also gives us the opportunity, again, coming from an experiential point of view, both as artists, um, to develop an understanding of ourselves and, and other people. And I think that's really helpful. It is mandatory. You don't get a choice in your training and I think actually that's good. You have to pay for it yourself as well unfortunately but I think it is really useful to have that personal experience of it. It doesn't necessarily have to be art therapy. I went to a young age counsellor for a couple of years um, but we do come from that experience of the arts uh, before we begin our training and then from going through therapy ourselves, um, which is really helpful in our work. I mean, I've worked in a, 
across all sorts of different um, client groups, adults, children and older people in mental health and more recently in cancer and palliative care um, and have had the great pleasure of meeting and working with all sorts of uh, people all sorts of ages uh, from um, people who are using the art in a very kind of psychotherapeutic way uh, and then maybe at a different level you know singing and creating art with older people within a hospice setting and a lot of the group work certainly that I have done is about bringing people together and connecting maybe people who can't talk people who have dementia who have had a stroke who can't talk um, but allowing people to kind of share experiences, I mean, just re re relating to some of the introductions already, share their experiences and to connect with each other and to express themselves. Thank you. Um, as you can see, it's a pretty diverse panel, so I was really keen that everyone had the chance to talk about what they do. We have from very therapeutic, uh, participative backgrounds, um, to the work more that Alice and myself do, which is about um, children actually being in the audience and that work maybe giving an opportunity for discussion beyond that performance as well. I'm really keen um, that we give you all the opportunity to uh, speak or ask questions. I wondered if uh, maybe any of the panel members could uh, briefly tell us about a really positive experience um, of a performance or a session in which the arts uh, was used to speak to children about mental health. Could I, could I maybe just talk? I'm just maybe talk briefly about some of the work that I've done with with children and grief and, and, yeah, and loss. Yeah, if you can give I mean, us like an example, I, I certainly can't. I can't go into a huge amount of detail because of confidentiality, and that's something that's really important in our work. But certainly, you know, having worked with nine-year-olds whose parent, one of their parents has died um, very recently. Uh, and you know the child being able to use the arts in a very kind of supportive way to allow them to kind of express their experiences and, and their loss with that. But I don't want to go into too much detail. Yeah. Um, but um, particularly, uh, I worked with a nine-year-old and she used every art material we had in the room and was very messy at times. But it really helped support her just not long after her mother died. Mm -hmm. Alice, what about work that you've seen? Um, I, last week I opened a new performance uh, called Leaf by Niggle by Puppet State Theatre Company <laughs> and it's a really complex work and we're not saying explicitly that this is or is not for children but because of the company's reputation a number of children came to see it and it is a complex work. It, and most adults see that there's a journey about death and life within it, but not all children see that. Um, again, a personal response. My daughter said at the end of it, I can see that that is a really good show, but it's not a story that's for me. It's a story for people who have experienced sadness. So she knew that there was something within it that was quite complex, but right now she didn't identify mm -hmm. that that was something that she was feeling. But at the same time, I then went into her school and read a story that she had written called The um, Reincarnated Rabbit. And she cannot explain to me why she wrote this story, but she wrote this entire story from the perception of a young boy whose mother was dying and eventually died, and she was at the funeral, and after the funeral, she saw, she witnessed a rat, the boy witnessed a rabbit, and, and they identified that the rabbit was their mother, and that life continues even after people have died. So my daughter says she doesn't feel any sadness, but can write this incredibly emotionally complex story. And I think, Part of that is because, well, she witnesses the world, she's witnessed me losing my father, she's experienced all sorts of theatre um, and stories. I've read to her from the age of 
zero all the way through. And and I've never shied away from reading things like Michael Morpurgo and uh, Roald Dahl and all of these incredible storytellers who tell tell it how it is, tell life how it is and how humanity is. So, yeah. That's Again, one. kind of coming back to that, if you don't tell question. it how it is, we're not protecting children by keeping that all the way. Uh, yeah, question at the back. Yeah, I just feel that it's just the right time for me to come in. I'm sorry, I didn't get your name on you. Mine? Yeah, Alison. Alison. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. My name is Karen. I'm a mother. <laughs> I am a community artist. I am a doctor, although I don't have to do the responsibilities of a doctor anymore. Um, I'm also an actor. I don't have any boxes. <laughs> it is a very long table. So please excuse me if I forget some of the words as well. And I'm not going this is not going to be a long thing, I just uh, I actually work for a theatre company called Acton Curry, which deals with social injustice and we mainly work with adults who have maybe arrived at that place through something that's happened in childhood. But firstly I'd like to say thank you to every single member. It's up here on that long table. Thank you. Thank you. Every single box of mine somewhere along the way. <laughs> and without intervention with the children, then what how do you know how things are going to work out? I don't want to take this all away. So, first of all, let me see. I'm not going to say black rabbit or anything like that. But I had an incident with my son who's 17, who nearly got excluded from school. Not because he is a really bad boy, but actual fact he's actually very, very good at certain things and other things he struggles with. He struggles because he's shy, so he struggles talking to girls, or boys for that matter. He has plenty of boy things, but he struggles talking to girls. And he sometimes struggles with um, words and how to put things down on paper. So it resonated with what we were saying about young man standing at the yes, and also what we say about your son. So that resonated with me. He did do something that was really out of character. However, after talking to the headmistress of the school, because this was the second time, not the first time, but the second time. So we looked at why that behaviour had happened. Not, you know, and part of it. It was legal what he'd done, but unacceptable to the school. So we had to decide on what was unsuitable. And I use this word, I don't like it, punishment. Mm -hmm. So after discussing it with the school, the excluding was not going to happen anymore. But we did agree that we would have a chat with the next policeman, who is currently working with that age group. You know, with children who are maybe on a slippery slope, or with children who are maybe just giving us a little sign that they're not coping very well with something. They're not on a slippery slope, they're just giving us a little sign. So to cut a long story short, I had already told my son as a mother, if you do that again, then you have to take your punishment. Whatever the school say, and whatever ultimately I say. They did do it again. Let's cut the story short. They got his punishment from the school, we're having to chat with a lovely ex-policeman, then we're going to take that opportunity, turn it round and look at what spaces are around for children of that age. He is 17. He's coming up for 18 and the law changes. Yeah. He will not get a chance like that once he becomes 18. He will either go to jail, do not pass the law, pay a fine or you know, things like that. However, he was more concerned about my punishment, and that's what he told the school. My mum said she is going to, I have to face my mum's consequences. <laughs> However, working in theatre and knowing that the worst, he thought I was going to take his game away from him. He thought I was going to maybe say, pack your bags and go. He thought I was, he worried for that 20 minutes where he was waiting on a decision from the headmistress. He worried for further walk home while he was waiting on my decision. However, being in the theatre and being in the arts and impact arts, I, you came to Edinburgh some years ago, lovely, got to create mother and things like that. The young lady, sorry, the young lady, rather, who forgot her words 
From that is that the answer to everything is dance. <laughs> we're, we're totally up for that. <laughs> Do uh, we have four minutes left? Are there any burning questions? Do you want to put your hands up? Yeah, there's one right at the back. Children involved in the arts, 
and at least he started at a young age. And I think the girl that wrote the book, Hello, uh, Deborah. <laughs> that book needs to be implemented. I don't know how you're going to go about it, and probably the psychotherapist sitting next to you. <laughs> 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 that needs to get in the I would love it to be in schools. So they're all just the children are going to ask questions about yeah, what that's does exactly that it. mean? Yeah. Because there's no much of it. And I think that's an important thing. But myself, we actually run last year uh, the Scottish Mental Health Arts and Film Festival week. And this was for adults. We run an open night night in the Sue Wester Club in Glasgow, uh, in Paisley Road West. And it was not open night for people with mental health problems. And the music and dance was tremendous, and the amount of people that was there wasn't too good, but it was our first attempt. So <laughs> music and dance is definitely time to go for all of us. How do you do it? I don't know. Use a bulb. I'll talk about the psychotherapist. He's a professional person. He knows how to do it. Like, he can probably guide you in, in certain ways how it does. I think he's doing a good job, uh, and it's great to hear that it's being used with children. Because that's where it starts. It starts with children. Yeah. Use, I heard someone saying someone at seven has got a depression. Now that's something that should be really looked at. And yeah. Because that's the children of their future. And I think maybe a lot of it's to do with social media as well. Because I'm looking at the same in the first year and doing it beyond done years ago. But something needs to be done about it. Because social media is creating a lot of depression. It's what they see eh, on their Facebooks or some of the films that they're watching just now, they, or they, they can get in unless it's been one of them, that's very difficult. I think it's something that we need to do. Going back to the, going back to the talk about the mental health, at least then, do you have any children that get into a crisis? Or do you get support when they get into a crisis rather than the, the group? Yeah, um, uh, well, just two points on that very quickly. Um, yes, um, we, we do work with children um, in terms of crisis. Um, and in actual fact, one of my roles for the organisation is child protection. So where there are specific issues around that, I work in a very multidisciplinary setting. I'm part of the Children's North East Locality Group um, now and also part of the Alcohol Drug Partnership in the East End as well. So I've discussed those cases on, on an ongoing basis and we, we ensure that the right things are in place for those children. But very quickly, what you mentioned just about the, the work that we're doing around drug and alcohol abuse and it's something that's very, very important again, going back to that idea of taboo one of the biggest challenges that we face is that drug and alcohol addiction in Glasgow is a very open taboo it's very open, it's there, it's talked about and it's studied and we all acknowledge its presence, it's part of the Glasgow Single Outcome Agreement and it's very important that the Scottish Government do something about it and they acknowledge that as well However, when it comes down to engaging people in services that are going to help them, and especially the effect it's having on their children, it's extremely difficult because the perception is that if you're a drug user or, a, or addicted to alcohol or using substances in any, any capacity while you're raising a child, that you're failing. And that idea of failure um, and the effect it's having on your child is very, very difficult for families to, to acknowledge, to accept and to engage in. So that's one of our biggest challenges at the moment. And I think that what we really need to do in terms of all the services that exist for recovery, for mental health um, uh, and, and all of that whole sector, we need to think very carefully about how we're framing the experiences that individual families are having and about the effect it's having on their child and that there is help out there and it's a good thing. Um, just, so that, that was just a very quick point just on what you were saying around good, that it's good, just good to know that there's a support there if they fall, they don't want to fall through the safety net yeah. it's good to, to, to hear that thanks very much thank you thanks um, but I spent a school year working with place B in Midway in Edinburgh. And I just think they offer children such a fantastic support. Um, I don't quite know what the provision is in Glasgow. Yeah. But it's a safe space for children to be able to express themselves creatively. It, I just think it's such a wonderful resource. And I just kind of wanted to put a, put a word in for place B. Do they work across Edinburgh? Do you know, or just in some schools? Yeah. So 
often with children and young people who are unlikely to be able to find support. Um, you know, their parents are probably unlikely to be taking them to Yeah, good to witness it. Um, I think if I don't wrap us up, I'm actually going to be hooked off the stage. <laughs> um, so I would just like to say a massive thank you to the panel. I think most of them are going to be around today. So if you have got things that you think, oh, I'd really like to talk to that person about that, I'm sure that would be fine. Um, and thank you to Scottish Mental Health Arts and Film Festival for having this panel. Maybe as we head off into the day, those of us who work either with children or in the arts with children can just think of little pledges we can make to ourselves that we'll take from today because one thing that is crystal clear is that we have to talk to children about mental health. Thank you very much. Thank you.